Hey, thanks for joining us here on the Fearless Paranoia podcast, where we seek to demystify the world of cybersecurity. I'm Brian, the attorney. And I'm Ryan, and I, uh, I work on computers. And this is part two of our episode of how to keep yourself safe and how to make yourself a little bit more safe and secure online. So protecting yourself, protecting your identity. First one, strong passwords, password manager. Yeah, this one's a no-brainer. As long as passwords are still part of the authentication mechanism that we use to protect our things, passwords are easy to crack by their general nature as we develop them as humans. When they get to be complex enough where they're not easy to hack by humans, they get to be impossible for us to remember. So that's why having things like strong passwords that are tough to hack is important and having a good repository to store those passwords, to recall them when you need them, and hopefully keep them encrypted at rest while they're sitting in there is a phenomenal tool. So please get into password managers, especially if you have a lot of passwords. It keeps you from just getting into bad password practices like reuse or reek or anything else. And I'll put a link in the content. There's a good discussion on available password managers and password policies in resilience cybersecurity. So two, multi-factor or at least two-factor authentication. I think a lot of people consider two-factor and multi-factor the same. They're not really, but what's the best use of this in your mind? I mean, they really kind of are the same in the same way that, you know, all thumbs are fingers, but not all fingers are thumbs, <laughs> I guess. So like realistically, multi-factor authentication just means have more than one factor of authentication. Have it be more than just your username password. And so two-factor satisfies that. It is a form of multi-factor, but multi-factor can mean two or more different forms of authentication available as well. So to me, just multi-factor is really the one that should be there. Make sure you have something other than just the username or password protecting your stuff that's really critical. Multi-factor authentication comes down to our current mechanisms are based off of three things. It's what you know, what you have, what you are. And those are the three different things used to identify a person. What you know in most cases tends to be username password combination. That satisfies the knowledge piece. On top of that, you have to either prove then what you have or who you are or what you are. What you are is an easy one. That's biometrics. We carry those with us. That can be uh, retina scan. That can be voice analysis. That can be fingerprint. And who even knows what, where else that can all go. They're talking about behavioral analytics and things as multi-factor. So we'll see where that all goes. But what you are is the, the important second piece. That's definitely a good one to put on there. If you have any like banking apps or anything that allow you to use fingerprint on your mobile phone, turn all that stuff on. Absolutely turn that on. It makes it a whole lot easier. But as a second form of authentication, that's actually one of the ways I've been resistant to it is that when they make that the sole basis of authentication into the app, I'm like, no, nope. Well, and it should never be. Mm -hmm. You should always have multiple factors. Multiple factors is the critical piece. It almost doesn't even matter what those factors are. As a matter of fact, you could even go passwordless and get away from what you know and go to just what you have and what you are. So now you use a fingerprint and like a YubiKey or something to that to satisfy the two different factors. Now you've gone completely passwordless. You've now proven that you are there mm -hmm. by nature of the fact that your fingerprint is present and a trusted tool that's being used to access your key is present with you. So now you've activated the two necessary necessary keys to get into that, which, you know, again, provides that multiple factors. Okay. So now we go from the basic and relatively self-explanatory to a much more complex level. Review online accounts and credit reports for changes. Now I'm going to start with the legal side. Now, for the most part, your bank accounts, your credit cards, you have 60 days to report fraud. Now that's 60 days after you receive your statement. And for the most part, as long as you're in a traditional bank account or using a regular credit card in the United States, they are going to be obligated under their fraud protection to cover your losses to the extent they exceed 50 or 5 
$500, depending on how quickly you notified the institution. But outside of 60 days, they are not obligated to protect you for anything that occurs after that point. And here's the real crux of it. If you have a bank account statement mailed to your house or emailed to your primary email address, that law, that CFPB law that gives you protection assumes that you have read those statements. You don't get to say, well, I didn't see it. The law assumes that you read them. So check your accounts to make sure they're accurate. Ryan, what's the issue with the credit reports? Yeah, this is a big one. One of the things you always do in cybersecurity is look for indicators of compromise. That's one of the ways that businesses know to start an investigation. It's one way to know that a user has identity issues. So in this case, instead of getting like a password reset email, making it look like someone's resetting your account, one of the indicators you'd find is by reviewing your credit report and looking for maybe purchases or accounts or changes to the report that are things that you can identify the trigger behind. You didn't indicate or you didn't initiate the activity. And make sure that those reports are accurate too, because the bottom line is you may have a negative credit report or have dings on your credit that aren't actually yours. And I mean, I've said it recently in a LinkedIn issue is you're not the customer of the credit reporting agencies. You're the product. So if they are incorrectly reporting your information as part of their product to their real customers, they have a potential legal issue. So you need to get on that and report that. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. Okay, so we're off the protecting your identity, but a lot of this kind of continues to changing your habits. This first one I'm going to phrase as be aware of the real threats and be a little scared of the real threats, not the ones that Hollywood kind of wants to make you obsessed with. Ryan, what are the real threats? Yeah, long gone are the days where someone's going to come up to your face, try and lie to you by knocking on your door and see if they can scam you out of your money there. It's much easier nowadays to sit and do it from behind a computer from halfway around the world where you can avoid things like jurisdiction and local laws, etc. Plus, you don't have to avoid getting beat up at somebody's door by trying to rob them right there and you can do it from halfway around the world. So what they do instead is they use the easiest way to impact somebody's account and their items. They use social engineering. They're going to send you notifications that make it look like they're not coming from them. They're coming from a service you use. They're coming from a loved one. They're coming from a different source where you are going to be much more likely to trust that and interact with that. To top that off, they count on that interaction interaction and they build tool sets to capture that interaction and use it as a way to exploit you to either take your data or to encourage you to provide them with your data or to somehow manipulate you into getting access to your account your data access to people that you know etc in any case social engineering in all of its forms text message through email through phone calls through whatever are becoming one of the most prevalent and major threats that people have to deal with nowadays well that's interesting something you just pointed out there is that it just having someone call you and you not taking the bait on the phone is not necessarily a fruitless endeavor for the criminal enterprises who may be able to use a recording of that call to parse further information about you. So even staying on the phone and continuing to talk to someone who you know, no matter how smart you think you're being to outsmart them, to outwit them, just staying on the phone with them is potentially adding more data sets to their arsenal. Well, and if you stay on the phone with them, you allow them to take advantage of the full social engineering tool set to try to further encourage you or further manipulate you. I mean, if they 
they've got access to a domain of like wellsfargobanking.com, which maybe Wells Fargo doesn't own. Now they can send you emails from Wells Fargo Bank and they call up and say they're from Wells Fargo. Hey, I'm going to send you this thing real quick. And all of a sudden you actually get an email from Wells Fargo Banking with the branding and stuff on it. Well, they've kept you on the phone long enough to keep carrying on the ruse now. And now they've actually mm. provided you with something where you may have been a little paranoid right away. But now you're thinking, oh, no, this has got to be legitimate now. I mean, look, it's it's branded. It's a beautiful email and everything. Like, I can trust this. And then bing, 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 you log in. And next thing you know, two hours later, your money's uh, floating around through the Central Bank of Mongolia or something. And, and it got sent there through legitimate access to your account. Oh, and in a lot of cases, people will actually have authorized these transactions too, which also takes away a lot of the legal liabilities of yep. uh, some of those fraud protections, which means now the bank can come back to you. And even though it would be in their best interest to help you as one of their users or one of their consumers, they might legally not have to anymore. And that might actually differentiate between whether they're going to put resources to helping you or the other guy. Absolutely. So next on the list, and this is kind of a branch of that first one, sharing on social media and making sure that you're keeping what's private, private. What do you mean by this? Well, social media is social media is such a problem. People it's a beautiful thing, right? It's really great that people have got a tool where we can share all of this information, share all of the details of our lives with one another. We can share it at a moment's notice. Everybody can be constantly in touch. You don't have to drive up to a payphone like we did when we were younger to like go tell somebody what happened, you know, that day. A couple clicks on your phone and bam, that information is out there. Problem is, once that information's out there, it's always going to be out there. But then all of that information can also be used as well. There's nothing stopping me from popping on random social media accounts and just grabbing copies of people vacation pictures, them at the mall, taking a selfie, whatever else it might be, getting the name of their pet because people tend to make terrible passwords. And you know what? Pet names? Pet names make a great password, right? I mean, you want something that's going to be easy to remember. Well, if I can grab your pet name, that puts me a little bit closer to cracking your passwords, especially if I've got your last password. I see that all of your passwords are pet names. (laughs) And now I've got a list of all the URLs that you go to. Okay, cool. This just became a much more level one challenge rather than a level 100 challenge like it was a little bit ago. Well, one thing to add to that too is a recent article from Brian. Ryan Krebs was talking about Experian, who is required by law to give you a credit report every year. There was a way to actually bypass the verification. If you had certain information, you could bypass the requirements that you ask personal questions. But the problem is, is even the personal questions are oftentimes information people have shared online. It's which of these addresses have you lived at? Which of these types of car have you driven? I mean, who hasn't taken a picture with their new car? And more than 30 states in the US have a requirement that you have front and back license plates. So now you've potentially put the answer to a serious personal identity question online without even thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Freeze your credit report if you're not using it. Yeah. Well, and even if you are. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilient Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. Don't click on links that you're not expecting. This one is, I think, is much more commonly taught in the business world, but this is definitely something that individuals need to be aware of. Holy crap, does this one make me want to pull my hair out sometimes? Links that you're not expecting. I'm going to even just tag on, don't scan QR codes if you don't know where they're going. Oh, man. Uh, We'll tag that right into this one. QR codes are, to me, 
they're like one of the banes of my existence. I can't, I can't stand those things. And the fact that they're showing up everywhere in media nowadays with basically just saying, please scan me. And people scan them and click that link without even a second thought. Well, you go to a restaurant nowadays and they've just got a little piece of paper on the table that says scan this QR code. And I'm sitting here like, give me a physical menu because I don't know if your server put this on the table. And even if your server did, I don't know if your server you know, doesn't have a side gig. What's to stop me from replacing all those next time I walk into Chili's or something? Exactly. Or putting a sticker over the top of them or... Here's a good one. Threat actors nowadays are willing to pay lots of money to go out and actually form legitimate businesses to go and make legitimate purchases of offensive security tooling from big offensive security vendors that would otherwise not sell to obviously like a ransomware gang or anything like that. They'll go through the effort to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up shell corporations to make these purchases. What's to stop any one of them from spending a quarter million dollars to put out a Super Bowl ad and putting a QR code like somebody did in the last one where all of a sudden that QR code was breaking that website because people were scanning it and accessing it. And there was no reason to know where that code was going, what it was going to. It was just a QR code. And there's a reasonable point to be made here that when you see a link in an email when you're sitting at your computer is one thing. But one of the things that was recently pointed out to me was that a lot of text messages now come with links. And a lot of those links are sent through link shortening short codes yep. mm. system. So instead of getting the full website so you could type it out yourself, it's an HTTPS colon slash slash WP yep. dot whatever. And bit dot LY dot whatever. Yep. Yep. Exactly. In that case, is it your advice? Basically, unless you know the sender and we're expecting the text, don't click on it. Or is it just flat out? Don't click on it. To be honest, in most of those cases, there's another way of actually accessing that data, which is what I would prefer to go with. I'd never click on links that they come through text message. I rarely click on links that come through on my cell phone because I can't hover over them like I can on a machine to see where they're targeted, where they're going first. And for the ones that I can't do that, I have a segregated machine that I send that stuff to if I even plan on trying to open that. Otherwise, I usually just delete it and move on to something else. But in most cases, if you know that someone's sending you a link and it's going to go to something on Amazon, just copy the description of what they're sending you to. Go to Amazon, search for it, and find it yourself rather than trusting that this link is actually going to bring you where they're telling you it's going to. The other thing it takes advantage of is that hackers know that people who are on their cell phones are naturally acting in a less defensive and more casual way than when they're sitting at a computer. And so you are by nature more vulnerable on your cell phone. Well, and you know, again, people have been under this false sense of security because cell phones have been a little bit lower of an attack surface for most threat actors than our business level machines like a laptop desktop, because first of all, those operating systems have just been around a lot longer. There's more critical data on those types of devices. But with stuff like the Celebrite stuff coming out today, cell phones are going to be a major target in the next few years. So moving on to the next one, this one I thought was a very good one. Tap your card instead of inserting or swiping where possible. Yep. Skimmers popping up everywhere, gas station pumps, ATMs, everything. It's getting really easy. The chip was supposed to help protect us, but you're still scanning all that stuff through. Nowadays, you can actually just tap the chip, which they're still RFID readers, but they're a lot less common and they're much bulkier typically than what those chip readers are or the strip readers. So skimmers are getting to be really small. They're really easy to tuck in place. Tapping will really help reduce a whole lot of that because, again, it's a much harder technology to just kind of slide out there in public without it being noticed. Ken, this last one, I did appreciate this as much as I absolutely hate it myself. Read terms and conditions and privacy policies. I'm as guilty as anybody, but Ryan, why is it important? Oh man, I figured with you being an attorney and stuff, I better at least <laughs> mention this one because you know what? If we're going to talk about don't click on links you're not expecting, don't click okay, yes, accept whatever on the bottom of an agreement if you don't know what the hell you're agreeing to either. It's just common practice because you know what? The devil's always in the details somewhere, especially when you get to some of these larger organizations. They spend a lot of money really putting together those policies and those documents 
documents, and they're very detailed on exactly what they're going to do with your data. And if you take the time to read through there, you might actually be astonished at a lot of the stuff that you see in a lot of the general, what you would consider to be privacy level rights, freedoms, or privileges, whatever you want to call it, that you are effectively handing over in a lot of those instances for the sake of usability and effectiveness of whatever the service offering you're signing up for is. So take the time, read through them. If nothing else, read through at least each one of them for each service you use once. You don't have to read through every time you install it necessarily, maybe after that, but at least just get familiar with what the general concept is that they're trying to cover in those documents that you'll thank yourself later for doing so. And also bear in mind that a lot of those sites, especially websites where it's an option to accept or not, they are usually required to offer you the same service, whether you accept or not. If you use iOS, you have a lot of privacy options that you should take advantage of. Don't allow companies to get information that they have no business having. They are required to provide you, in most of these cases, the exact same service if you say no as if you say yes. So make sure you know what you're clicking on. Once again, I'd like to thank you for joining us here on the Fearless Paranoia podcast. We hope you've learned something new about how to protect yourself and keep your data safe online. I want to remind you again that you can subscribe to the Fearless Paranoia podcast on any of your favorite podcasting apps. We would really appreciate that if you liked this episode you and like our post, like the episode on the app or on any social media site you see. As Ryan mentioned last week, we are slaves to the algorithm just like everybody else. The more help you give us, the more people get to hear this podcast and see our posts when they're shared. You can visit us at fearlessparanoia.com. Check out our new deals page. We have scrounged up some of the better deals online for safety and security software program systems, anything like that. We'll keep it as updated as we possibly can. You can also head on over to resiliencecybersecurity.com to check out our list of best VPNs, data backup, and password managers for both individuals and for business. And that's really all I've got. So for Ryan, I'm Brian, and we'll see you next time. 